0: Today on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from Xena, whose life was upended at age 60 when out of the blue, she suffered a stroke.
1: I I plummeted, uh, really plummeted. I lost my confidence, lost my self-esteem, lost my value, my sense of worth. It was a torrid time. I I struggled with who I Mm. was and, and my value in this world. It was hard. So I went from being incredibly... Busy to nothing, just sitting on the sofa.
0: From the British Heart Foundation, I'm Bill Snadden. On the ticker tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory conditions. A year after her stroke, in the middle of the night, a traumatic heart attack would add to Zena's troubles. This is her story of living with cardiovascular disease and how her strength, purpose, and humour brought her back from the abyss. Zena, you've uh grappled with some serious health challenges over the last few years, but before we get into the health challenges, can you give me a, a sense of your life leading up to 2016 when you had a stroke?
1: Gosh, I was—I worked full-time. I was a head of department uh, within the NIHR. I travelled a lot, did, i uh, uh, travelled two or three days a week, uh, London, Leeds, Manchester, oh, the the whole gamut really. Lived with my then partner Ray, now my husband, so I had a busy uh, work life, and a stressful one I would add. I'm I'd moved up to the northeast about uh, in two thousand and three, so I've really sort of embedded here. I moved into this village just outside Newcastle in. 2012 and then met my, uh, partner, current husband. And so things blossomed from there. So, um, we went on holidays uh, uh, for my 60th, we went to Vienna and I saw, uh, I always wanted to go to Vienna to the opera and, um, oh, it was absolutely fabulous. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, we did summer holidays in Portugal. So we did have, um, a, you know, a really nice. Uh, life. We still do, don't get me wrong. And uh, yeah, everything was good.
0: And then in 2016, April 2016, you have a stroke. Can you walk me through that day?
1: We'd been out uh, walking in County Durham. Uh, It had been uh, all day because we did lots of walking. And we'd gone to was beautiful and we walked past a waterfall and stuff. We were going back to the hotel prior to dinner and, um, we called into the bar just to have a drink. I think I had, um, it was a lemonade or something cause I was thirsty. And, uh, we were going out of the bar across the car park into our rooms, which were the other side mm-hmm. of the car park. And all of a sudden I couldn't speak and I was leaning to the right and Ray was holding my hand and I remember squeezing it so hard because he stopped and he said, are you okay? And all I could do was nod and I I, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't speak, <laughs> which for those people who know me, it's like, oh, Zena not speaking, wow, she must be ill. Uh, I think Ray hmm. thought he'd gone deaf.
0: Um, was it like a bad dream?
1: It was like in my head there was this ticker tape going across my inner skull saying, tell Ray you've got a problem, tell Ray you've got a problem. But, but I couldn't actually get the words out. Mm. So I, I just nodded and, and just kept walking but kept gripping. By the time we cleared the car park, so it was only a couple of minutes, three, four minutes at the most, maybe five. I don't know, time sort of both stood still and rushed. And he said, are, "Are are you sure you're all right?" And I said, "No, I'm not." And I explained to him what had happened, and uh, so we ended up coming home. And then I phoned my doctor the next day. I know, I know, I should have gone to A and E immediately, but I just, I just wanted to rest. And and so then mm. what happened? Um, my doctor referred me to the emergency TIA clinic, and um, it was taken from there.
0: And this stroke came out of the blue
1: absolutely nothing absolutely nothing that that you know I'd been traveling the week before I'd we were taking just it was just the weekend the friday and saturday night mm. we yeah there was there was no warning i didn't have high blood pressure i i absolutely was overweight but i walked a lot did exercise mm-hmm. But, um, but, yeah, it was one of those things, wasn't it?
0: And how did this stroke change your life?
1: Oh, gosh. We say it's only a mini-stroke, only a TIA, but actually, gosh, I, I couldn't concentrate. I struggled, and I still do struggle with words, and sometimes I'm hesitant about what I'm saying or I can't think of the word and things like... Um, Uh, I'll say things to Ray even now. Can you put the washing in the fridge? And he comes back and says to me, why do you want me to put the washing in the fridge? I don't want you to put it in the fridge. I want you to put it in that thing over there with the hole in it. To wash it, mm. he said, Well, why mm. did not you say washing machine? Because I can't think of the word. Mm. <laughs> so poor soul <laughs> gets. Um, so the clothes, I, I, the
0: clothes will be nice I, and cold. <laughs> yeah,
1: but, but not, <laughs> but not clean. <laughs> oh, probably.
0: Can you? Are, are you seeing a washing machine in your mind, and then fridge comes out?
1: Oh yeah, I, I know. I absolutely know. I can identify it as a washing machine, but what I can't do. Is think of the blasted word god it's mm. so frustrating and that 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 happened more frequently um post immediately post stroke and i i just got got very incredible fatigue the the fatigue was like whoa get up have breakfast sit on the sofa fall asleep on the sofa and i struggled to read intense things so i um i start oh uh, people oh are going to say oh, raise their eyebrows. Insert raised eyebrow emojis mm. here. So I started reading uh, things like the Sun newspaper mm. because it was easy reading. If you re- oh, and I started with Dear Deirdre pages. It's amazing what people <laughs> re- write about, <laughs> and their personal. Is this people? Lives. Is this
0: people divulging um, oh. parts of their life? Uh, gossipy yeah. things
1: absolutely all of their sort of intimate Mm. details fascinating stuff so that actually helped me get back into reading because prior to that i was reading sort of reports writing policy documents doing all sorts of that just couldn't and i did i did try to go back to work but i i I couldn't so i retired on ill health
0: Mm -hmm. and that loss of purpose um oh wow yeah retiring can you tell me about that
1: Oh, it was, uh, I, I plummeted, uh, really plummeted. I lost my confidence, lost my self-esteem, lost my value, my sense of worth. Oh, it, it, it was a, a torrid time. I, I, I struggled with who I mm. was and my value in this world. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was hard. So I went from being incredibly busy. To nothing just sitting on the sofa it, 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 it complete and utter opposite
0: mm. so. and you've you've mentioned to me in the past that you would get up in the middle of the night sometimes after that stroke and you would check your face in the mirror <laughs> yeah.
1: I still do that. <laughs> I still do that. It's not as poignant as it was, but you know, when I used to um get up in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning to go to the bathroom, the first the first thing I would do is to look in the mirror and see if I could smile. And if I could smile, I thought, oh, I haven't had a stroke. Which is a nonsense way of thinking, because actually I probably wouldn't have been able to get out of bed had I had a stroke. But trying to marry up Reality and what your head is thinking is actually <laughs> almost impossible when you're in that
0: sort of loop. Really mm, worried that your face had dropped and and um, you wouldn't have the muscles to smile. Yeah, I, yeah.
1: and that I'd, that I'd gone from a, a a mini stroke to a a, a major stroke, and then um, and it, and it was always the, the the facial things. Looking in the mirror, you know, why the hell didn't I get out of bed and check it, that I could walk or move my arms? But I didn't. It was the, mm. the the mirror
0: thing. And then about a year or so after that stroke, um, you'd started to feel a little bit better, I believe. And then yeah. something else happens.
1: It did indeed. We went away on holiday in this country and um, we were walking the coastline and um, walked, oh, I don't know, about seven, eight, nine miles. had lunch and then came back again and was feeling okay, went out to dinner, walked there and came back after dinner and thought, oh, not feeling great, but that's okay. Went to bed and, uh, wow. But uh, half past four, quarter to five in the morning, I had this overwhelming sense of impending doom and, and throat pain. And it was like, I know there's something serious here phoned 111, who said, we'll get a first responder to you. So it was uh, two very kind and lovely firemen, because we were so out of the way, who came. And then, uh, typical, isn't it? So they're there. uh, Up until then, I was thinking it's just throat pain, Then I had an explosion of vomiting whilst they were there and this massive headache. And I thought, oh, God, I'm having a massive stroke here. Um, But the ambulance crew came, took me into the uh, A&E where they did blood tests and uh, further ECGs to find I'd had a heart attack, Hmm. which was a bit of a shock, really. (laughs) Mm.
0: And then you've walked us through how the stroke changed your life. And then on top of that, now you've had a heart attack. How did your life change again after the heart attack? (laughs)
1: Um, I I plummeted again, again, this, the the, the lack of confidence was huge. It was bad before, but this was really not me at all. Almost my personality changed. I, 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 don't mind admitting I struggled. I felt I was, f- I still do. I call it a black abyss. I face this abyss on a daily basis. I still do. And sometimes the this black abyss is over in the distance, three fields away, and I can see it in the corner of my eye and it doesn't affect me. Sometimes it's in front of me, but sometimes I'm either looking into it or I'm clinging in on the inside, trying to get out. And I think during those immediate days, I was actually in the abyss, but clinging on to uh, almost, it's like a well and you're clinging on to the side. And that's what it felt like. I can't explain it any other day, de- uh, any other way. So, oh yeah. It, I do I I struggled mentally I I struggled. I focused on getting myself physically fit. I went to cardiac rehab. Um my vegan diet became even more um strict. I lost weight. I lost um about 5 stone. I exercised for 30 minutes every day. I I did it in stages. I did everything all the healthcare professionals either advised or asked of me and um got myself onto an even keel but it has taken an awful long time Mm. and as I say this abyss I still get faced with this abyss and um I'm 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 mindful that, that it is there and and My healthcare professional team are absolutely outstanding. They referred me to a health psychologist who dealt with my coping mechanisms. Um, And and, and I live in an amazing place. You know, we've got two fantastic hospitals, the RVI and the Freeman. They're Mm. both listed in the global 100 list of hospitals. So I am incredibly lucky and fortunate to be here. I've also had some amazing support from the BHF the the, the helpline mm. as as well, um, putting me on the right track when I've had questions to ask about my my tablets, procedures, all sorts of things. So
0: mm-hmm. on, on top of the um the stroke and, and the heart attack if if that wasn't enough, three months before the heart attack in March twenty seventeen you were diagnosed with something called familial hypercholesterolemia. Um
1: yeah, a genetic
0: condition that that uh, can lead to dangerously high levels of cholesterol. Can you talk me through this condition and how it perhaps uh, connects in with the stroke and the heart attack?
1: Yeah, really high cholesterol levels, and I've had them there f- for such a long time. The, the The levels have caused the damage to the arteries, so I have quite severe. Well, I call them clogged arteries, for want of a better. Lots of different cholesterol plaques, and it's my mother had it. She had angina. Interesting enough, from her fifties, uh, in and but she survived until she was eighty. So I hold on to that. She survived till she was eighty, mm. just with the use of a GTN tablet. There weren't things like stents then. She didn't have the opportunity of having all the tablets that I'm taking. So Mm. she survived, so I think, well, if she can do it on a GTN tablet, Mm. I can survive. And I have done, and I will survive. I will continue to survive.
0: Mm. And this uh, condition, FH, it was um, passed on from your mum,
1: yeah, absolutely. Obviously, we can't do the genetic testing on her because she died when I was in my early 30s. But uh, my sister, one of my sisters has got it as well. So she's had to start on stat- statin. So, yeah.
0: And and back to your health, uh, you were... Misdiagnosed with asthma many many years ago. That is that right? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, It It's I, and everybody at the time. I, I wasn't living here at the time. I hasten to add. It was only when I moved up here that people started sending me for echo scans and other investigations. So I, where I used to live, they because I was getting breathless. They and the day I went to the doctors. I'd got a peak flow, I think, of about 200. So they started me on inhalers saying, oh, you've definitely got asthma, but with no further investigation. And what mm. I was struggling with, because I was trying to run to do a half marathon, which I did. Goodness knows how I survived that. Um, Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> I've only done one. Um, but I did it in Jamaica. Oh, What? what? Fabulous. If you're gonna do a, if you are going to start and do a half marathon, go to Jamaica and do it. It was brilliant. But what I struggled with was breathing. But everybody was saying, Oh, it's your asthma, it's your asthma. So I was taking inhalers halfway round and I had to stop and walk. But it was mm. this tightness in the throat, as so almost as though when you were going outside in the cold weather and you were breathing in really cold air. Mm. but of course it wasn't it was angina looking back mm. on it mm. it had to be angina because everybody kept saying to me gosh to be 40 to develop asthma if you haven't had it in your early days because people used to say oh in your 40s that's unusual unless you had it as a kid uh yeah but mm. never but it was only when up here they started sending me But the tests always came back negative because the heart wasn't under stress and I was fit-ish. So that just goes to show just because you've got a negative test doesn't mean to say there's nothing wrong. It just means it's a negative test.
0: So all this time um, you thought and and the doctors thought it was asthma, but it was actually uh, undiagnosed cardiovascular disease.
1: Yeah, until I moved up here. And that was the mm. difference.
0: Mm. And throwing into the mix, small vessel disease.
1: Oh, of the uh, brain, yeah.
0: Of the brain, how does this interact with uh, what we've been talking about?
1: Uh, when I had my uh, mini stroke, my the consultant who looked after me, she said, mm, "You've got, you have got small vessel disease of the brain, Zena." She said. Just be aware: if you've got small vessel disease of the brain, you might have small di- vessel disease of the heart. And um, although the heart bit hasn't been diagnosed, it was interesting that a year later I actually had, or within the year, I had a heart attack. So, touch me for luck, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: well, this this is this is why at the beginning, um, Zena, I said it's it's difficult to know where to start with your good self. Um, Bless you! You have a smorgasbord of conditions, um, and 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 you um, are wonderful um, in, in that you talk about them and, and you're open in discussing them, and, and you help the British Heart Foundation a great deal in, in sharing your story as a supporter and volunteer and, and media case study. And and on on the misdiagnosis, I should say, you helped us out with some work a couple of years ago on on women and heart disease, and yeah, we did a study that found that fifty percent. Um, women are 50% more likely to be given a wrong diagnosis than men following a heart attack.
1: I I think there's because there's this assumption that you're anxious, that having this throat pain or breathlessness, you know, I'm not saying everybody does, but I think, you know, sometimes, and that's a question that quite often I've been into quite frequently with chest pains. and, uh, Are you anxious? Uh, No, actually. I might be, but my brain is not... I know what anxious is. I can't get into a blooming lift. Oh, God. Hands. On,
0: <laughs> what happens? What happens oh. in a lift?
1: <laughs> Hands and knees on the floor, shouting... <laughs> Let me out of here, which is fine on a Saturday night in Newcastle if you've had a few drinks, <laughs> but not very professional if you're going to see no. something.
0: <laughs> no, no, very dramatic, Zena. <laughs> yeah, let me out. So that's happened. You, you've been you've been in, in a lift with with a bunch of professionals, and you've been down there. Um,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> having an having a having an anxiety attack.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Just no. Let me out. Let me out. I'm Oof. I'm a, a lot better now. I guess I'm on beta blockers, so it's not. <laughs> it's It's a huge deal, trust me, and I would never get in a lift on my own. You know, I'm not no. going to stand there whilst it... Because Sod's Law would say that the damn thing got stuck and I was in it. So, no, yes. it's well, not going to happen.
0: The, describing that scene has, has made my um, pulse shoot up a bit, imagining that I'm in a lift with you while you're having a meltdown. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs>
1: When I got into the lift at the BHF to come up after the the, the year after I'd broken my wrist and I came in and mm. I went into the lift and I was going, it's fine, it's fine, I'll keep my clothes, my, my eyes closed, I'll keep my eyes closed, I'll keep my eyes closed. And then I opened them and everybody's looking at me thought, I've got to get out of here, I'm sorry, I've got to get out of here. <laughs> so I couldn't So go in the lift. <laughs> I eventually I, I re- got in I there. I oh it was
0: Yes, just... I recall. I think I, um, I greeted you at the front door and, and we, uh, we had a cup of tea and... <laughs> And settled you down. Um, <laughs> you didn't seem too rattled when when we met. This was um, this was pre COVID, back in 2019, I think. Yeah, I know. And yeah. um, and you came into the office in um, in Camden there, and you were giving a talk to staff about your involvement in our Big Beat Challenge initiative. Yeah. Um, which you have been a great help uh, to. Um, while, while we're on this, do you mind just giving a a rundown as to to what the Big Beat Challenge is all about and and your involvement.
1: Oh, wow. The Big Beat Challenge is absolutely amazing. So the British Heart Foundation have put aside 30 million as a one-off payment for one transformative, game-changing research undertaken that, that will absolutely have the biggest impact On heart disease, oh, and it was, and it's a global competition. So, so they had people from across the patients from across the globe to participate, and I was privileged to be one of the ones. I applied. I mean, there was a rigorous application process and I applied and I was one of the fortunate and privileged ones to be part of this group. We had uh, patients from uh, Australia, South Africa, North America, Canada, Europe, uh, England, Wales, Scotland. Oh, it, truly amazing. But to be to be privileged enough to be able to look at these applications when they first come in that has the potential to change people's lives is truly, truly awesome. And I cannot... A, thank the BHF for, for allocating this money enough, but also thanking them for inviting me to participate because it has been such a brilliant, brilliant experience. I'm, uh, mm. again, incredibly grateful uh, to everybody, to the team who've been absolutely spectacular pulling this together. And, and we're mm. still awaiting on the uh, results. Um, so, so we won't yes. know the results until the, the, the final meeting.
0: Yes yes, more will be um, coming from uh, the BHF and, and our partners on this in the next little while, um, I'm told. but um, your uh, work in, in patient involvement um, it runs deep and and your um, job before your health challenges and, and your volunteer work is nearly all being centered around giving patients a voice and, and agency. Um, And I stumbled across something, Zina, on your LinkedIn page. I've been stalking (laughs) you in the last couple of days. Um, You should be most flattered. And there's, there's a quote that I'm going to read back to you, your quote, on your LinkedIn page that reads, there is a debate whether patients should be referred to as consumers or service users or some other terms. Regardless of what you call me, I prefer the term patient because it is what I am but not who I am. Never confuse being a patient with either not having a voice or being weak. Yeah, and I found that um, paragraph um, and, and the sentiment therein really uh, sums up what you're all about.
1: Absolutely, I some some people get hung up on what to call me, but it doesn't it doesn't matter what you call me. But as a patient, I have insight that. Healthcare professionals, unless they've been a patient, can never have. But it's so I want to share that. But I want to work in partnership with my healthcare professionals. I don't want to be told that I have to do this. I want to have an open discussion because I want to tell you that some things I'm allergic to or some things I don't really want to do. And it is about a partnership. But don't, again, don't confuse because I'm a patient that you can do anything you like to me without having the insight into how I'm feeling. How I, So, for example, I think the impact of having heart disease is quite uh, immense. I, I've explained about this abyss, and I think unless you listen to what I'm saying, you don't understand how heart disease affects me. Of course, you are the experts and I respect and value all of my healthcare professionals. They are superb. But the really outstanding ones will listen to me. And and even though I'm weakened because I'm in a. A bed and I feel awful and I'm having an angina attack or I'm coming in for investigation, don't presume because I'm weakened that I am weak and I don't have a voice. Trust me, I will tell you (laughs) Hmm. if it hurts or I don't think you're doing something right or uh, why are you doing that or what drug are you giving me? And that's really important. When I was admitted after my heart attack, not up here, it was somewhere else in the country, and I was given, um, the nurse was brilliant. She said, you know, do you want to know what medication I'm giving you tonight? Oh, yes, please. And there was a lady opposite. When she got to her, she said, "Uh, do you want to know what tablets I'm giving you? And she said, oh, no, just give them to me. And Mm. that worries me because... Where's the partnership there? Where's the, the taking ownership of your own health as well? And that's really important to me, that, that we as patients become responsible for our own health. I don't want to absolve responsibility to my healthcare professionals. It's not on, it's not on them. I need to be responsible as well. That's why it's important that we work in partnership.
0: So you'd, you'd encourage others out there who are dealing with their own health challenges that are um, having various interactions with the healthcare system to be more forthright in asking about their own medications and treatments? Absolutely,
1: because otherwise, how can you how can you control your health? How can you work mm. at your health? So the other phrase I have is, I cannot change my past, but I can control my future. And by that, I mean... I can do the exercise, I can have a healthy diet, I can take the medication, I can do whatever it takes. And so if all that fails, then when I go to the doctor, then that's the time when I say, I think I might need my medication changing or is there something else I can try or what about this? And they will know that I've done everything within my power to make sure that i'm optimizing my own health mm. and that's really important that we don't absolve responsibility to people and just mm. expect to have one more tablet or increase mm. this or oh don't talk to me about my weight yes of course mm. talk to me about my weight you know but but i i, I was talking to my gp who said sometimes they that they get responses that are quite abusive which is interesting, you know. But So for me, I want to take responsibility for my health and I want to work in partnership. And I have got a voice. And for those people who don't or are not so vocal as me, then give them the opportunity, find a way so that they can have a voice, so that they can build then on taking more control over their health.
0: As a charity... The British Heart Foundation depends on the generosity of donors to continue carrying out our life-saving research. Thank you to all those who already give. It's truly appreciated. If you too would like to donate, you can do so by going to bhf.org.uk slash donate. And now, back to the conversation. Zena, we've covered some fairly heavy health terrain, um, but I want to talk about your... Capacity for hope and optimism and where this comes from and how you find it. Gosh, <laughs> uh,
1: I, I I, don't know. I just love life. I love everything I do. You know, if if I'm going to do something, I'm going to put my heart and soul into it. Um, I'm just passionate about stuff, just everything. And I can't explain where it comes from because I. I think I watch too much crime telly on the, uh, Hmm. you know, um, but is it what the Marines say, the only good day was yesterday. So I feel, you know, let's face the day. So in the mornings Mm. when I get up with um, Ray, my husband, I dance around the, um, I have the music on, I have to have music Mm. on and I dance. He is the complete opposite to me. And he looks at me and he says, why are you like this so early in the morning? And I ripped talk back, why are you not? <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I don't understand you. Right? <laughs> and he just looks at me, you know, insert raised eye emojis here. And he just goes yeah. and sits and has his breakfast and I'm dancing around um, mm. to the music. And because that's part of my exercise routine anyway. And it, yeah. he just, he he needs time to wake up me. I'm out the bed, straight up mm. to the mirror, check me face. Right, that's <laughs> it. Come on, get up. Um, so, uh, oh, oh, but I have to have a nana nap in the afternoon because of me beta yes. blockers. God. Mm. Oh, God.
0: Mm. Okay. Okay. I've just thought of a, a title for this podcast, and it will call it Carpe A D M.
1: Oh, absolutely. Oh, and and I just, I love meeting people as well. I've met so many people on the train that I still keep in Mm. touch with when I used to travel and stuff because I just love, Mm. as you can tell, I can love talking, but I love listening. People's stories are amazing. And and they're just, yeah, they're so interesting. I have different, interesting lives. My life is not interesting by any stretch of the imagination anymore. Trust me
0: you say you dance around in the living room or the bedroom wherever in the morning. What, what music do you listen to Zena?
1: Oh, smooth radio. It's, it's, it's my, my era of the like um seventies and eighties and um, you know, a bit of reggae, a bit of soul music, a bit of, mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just, yeah. Easy listening music, but you mm-hmm. know, I I also like um, classical stuff like operas and things like that. As I said, Mm -hmm. I went to, that was the best birthday ever, going to Vienna Mm. to to listen to um, Puccini's Mm. uh, Tosca. Oh, gosh. I I was in tears. I'm always in bloody tears, but, you know. um, (laughs) (laughs) I I, I didn't mention, but I had COVID in 2020, and that also Mm. affected my brain, and uh, I sob Daily, I, I sobbed daily sometimes. I'm getting better now, but. OK.
0: A healthy, a healthy outpouring, Zaina, shall we say. Uh,
1: oh, yeah. I absolutely, literally, wear my heart on my sleeve, as the saying goes, because I hope it isn't mm. on my sleeve. It should be inside doing its work. But anyway, <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I, I say it as it is. If something pops into my brain, unfortunately, it comes out of my mouth a little bit quicker mm. sometimes. Mm and even when i have to think about things i'll still say it because my life is getting to the end of its life so why am i holding back you know mm. it is what it you're is you're
0: 66 years young
1: i'm yeah definitely 66 oh mm-hmm. picked up my bus pass that was a delight
0: and um as you've said you face some dark times and and you don't sugarcoat it for others out there listening how have you found practical ways to get through these moments?
1: Okay, first, I want to say I don't. I don't want people to think that I'm wanting sympathy or uh, that I'm pathetic. Uh, I am pathetic sometimes. <laughs> <but> I just <laughs> I can be pathetic, <laughs> especially when I want something. and I say to her, "I've had a stroke," you know. Um, but I think. Take each day as it comes. Make sure that you surround yourself with loving, kind people. Get rid of toxic people out of your lives. Do do what you want to do. Do it at your own pace. If you're not ready to do something, but seek help. There is no shame in seeking help, and I... I go to counselling. I went to counselling after COVID because, as I say, I I, I plummeted and my head was all over the place. Seek help. Surround yourself with good people who look out for you and are there to help you. Honestly, get rid of toxic people. It's really important that... um, and don't beat yourself up if you can't do something mm. or don't want to do something. Just say no. Today is not a good day. Mm. Don't don't be don't do what others want you to do. Do what is right for you, and I think that is really important.
0: Mm. Solid words of advice, um, wisdom, even if I may say, Zena, um, you, you can take the compliment. It's okay. Thank you (laughs) Uh, Now, now, I I don't want to drag the mood down too much But I want to talk about death And your relationship with death It's a topic that you and I have talked about in the past um, On various forums And I just want to get your thoughts Particularly in light of what you've been through In the last five to six years
1: Gosh, that was a big, a big issue for me. Um, So I sought solace in my local church. And I have to say that they, the community here, the the church community have been uh, brilliant, keeping in touch during COVID and saying prayers for me, uh, especially when I went in for a test yesterday, which I've got to be honest, I was scared about. So I I had to I felt I needed something for my soul I, I don't want to people to think that I'm some sort of angelic creature because I'm definitely not but I absolutely do have faith that there is a god that there is a, a universe that and I often say that I think that all these things that happen to me happen for a reason, and that God and the universe choose me because they know I can cope, I guess until I can't. Um, but so i I don't have this vision of God being a, a a little old man with long white hair and in white robes. it's it's more um, about the, about the universe having this power, and that we're all part of um an embodiment, and I, I, I know what I know in my head, and I'm fine with that, I cannot maybe verbalize it. So mm. for me facing death, I'm actually not scared of the process, but I'm t- I don't want to die yet. So, mm. and also I don't want to die being unprepared. So before I went in for this test yesterday, I wrote a goodbye letter to Ray which was really important for me to do. I texted lots of... Sorry. I, I texted lots of friends to say that I value their friendship and how brilliant they've been. I, I'm sorry to the people I didn't get round to. <laughs> um, I did we'll send list them this of, link, as I <laughs> I did a list of contacts for uh, my executors to make sure they contact to say that i'd died um i've done my will i did did my will immediately after my heart attack so for me that kind of preparation and when i said interesting when i said to the staff nurse that uh yesterday when i went in for this test i said "Oh, i'm i'm scared so i made sure i wrote a goodbye letter to my husband He said, oh he said, oh, I, I couldn't cope with that if my wife did that. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Uh, mm. But for me, it was absolutely the normal and natural and the right thing to do. So it's back to what I said about for people, do what's right for you. For me, mm. that is really important, make sure everything is sorted. Mm. Uh, and so that, that when I leave this earth, Ray doesn't have to be too bothered about, oh, you know, who do I contact where are they um where's the details of her um savings how do I pay the bills what Mm. you know things like that And, Mm. and for me that that gives me comfort as does my church oh but our vicar oh what what's this about blooming leveling up our vicar from the north has been sent to some place in the south and we haven't had a vicar and it could take five years to have one come through. Mm. And so, you know, come on, Archbishop of Canterbury, get your act together. Let's mm. have a new vicar, mm. please. Mm. Our souls matter. We might be an older congregation, but you really think we don't matter?
0: <laughs> Sorry. Sorry,
1: I'm mad we've, as hell about we've it. Got a,
0: we've got a rule on this podcast, Zena. no politics or religion.
1: Oh, okay then.
0: We'll, no, we'll no, we'll cut no. I'm that just, I'm just, wind, I'm just winding you up. <laughs> but on, um, on this, um, on, on this deep topic, before we, we shift along, you've mentioned in the past that after the stroke or after the heart attack, you made a goodbye video.
1: Yeah, I did. I was stuck in hospital, and uh, we, uh, I say on holiday, and I needed to say goodbye to Ray and to tell him that I loved him and that I valued him. And it was important to me because we were away from home and I needed him to know. I tell him I love him every day, but I needed him to know things that I hadn't said to him. And I've still got it, but I will update that video but it was really, really important to me to mm. do that. Like it was important yesterday for me to write the letter. Um, the only thing is, I need <laughs> I need to send it to somebody else because he doesn't know how to get videos on his phone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to have a you'll have to have a, a tech lesson with him in the coming days, Cena. You know. <laughs>
1: Oh, trust me, I don't. <laughs> uh, okay.
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that alone. <laughs> but um, you, you mentioned you had a a, a test yesterday, an, an echo stress test. Can you yes. briefly talk me through this and, and give us an update on your heart health as it stands today?
1: So... After COVID, I had lots of, uh, all the systems of my body, uh, I guess, went through the inflammatory process. I had problems with my eyes, my throat, my gut, and my heart. And after my stent, I didn't have any angina, but I started to get what they thought might have been angina episodes. So we're doing tests and stuff. And yesterday I was going for my echo stress test, which I hadn't had before, but it involved stopping your beta blockers which is the drug that slows your heart down for two days beforehand oh god Mm. the palpitation so my resting heart rate is about 60. this had shot up to about 100 and it was like oh even when i was sat trying to deep breathe breathe deeply and and Uh, there was no calmness there. Not that I was thinking about it being anxious. I just couldn't calm my heart down. So that in itself was a a bit worrisome because it was like, oh God, how much longer can I have this heart rate going at this rate? And then I Mm -hmm. went in for the stress test and they gave me the dibutamine. Whoa. Um, And actually... It it wasn't as bad.
0: Um, what does that What does that do to you?
1: It speeds up the heart rate even more. Mm. And because my heart rate was at one hundred and six when I was there waiting, they said we won't have to give you the full dose. And they do it in stages. They monitor your heart all the time in your ECG. And mm. one hundred twenty six. He said we'll stop the drip now because we'll. we'll the, the. And he just kept looking over, and I thought and he took took all the pictures and he said we'll take some final pictures and he said oh well, that's interesting your heart rate went up to 150 um mm. and it was at that point that i said oh my head feels very tight and uh, tingly so um yeah it it was it was okay it was actually better than i expected but i think the two days beforehand whilst i had this these palpitations going on wasn't pleasant mm. and i thought it was going to get worse actually Because they were so bad to begin with, I didn't notice them getting worse. And the team, wow, I I understand why the Freeman Hospital is in the top one hundred global. They were so slick that they stand that there's two doctors in there, consultant and registrar, the echocardiographer, and a staff nurse, and they all have their jobs, and they start by saying right. Uh, Are we ready for countdown? And it was like NASA, you know, protocol Mm. one initiated, Mm. countdown to the drip starting, three, two, one. And it was really very precise and organized. And I actually felt safe and Mm. very calm in my head, but not in my chest. Mm. And these days
0: leading up, these days leading up to it, I guess you realized how reliant you've come on the medication to control, yeah, your heart rate, very um, much so. And this echo stress test is a it's a controlled test to see how your heart functions under increased pressure. Yeah, and
1: to, and to see if there was any change or whether the stent was blocking up. Okay. And and how the heart was functioning, and it's um,
0: mm-hmm. so yeah. It, and the results were good. okay.
1: Well, I won't know for another three weeks, but the fact that he got it to 150 and all I had was a, a tightness in my head, I think.
0: More dancing around the uh, the yes. room to annoy Ray. <laughs> this is not, not what Ray wanted to hear. <laughs> Having had the stroke and with your small blood vessel disease of the brain, is there a concern about developing vascular dementia? Um, I understand that small blood vessel disease can cause vascular dementia.
1: Yes. And I haven't discussed that with anybody. There is. And I, I guess sometimes when I forget words, I always think, oh, is this the precursor? However, on the positive side, I'm doing the exercise. I don't drink alcohol anymore. I don't... I, my statins and my diet. I follow a very strict diet, as I say. I don't eat fat, or or I minimise the amount of fat I eat, and I eat all plants. Mm. So I I'm doing everything that I can to prevent that, and I guess only mm. time will tell. Yeah. But I'm hoping. I mean, my mum didn't get dementia. Mm. I'm hoping. <laughs> I am hoping. Yeah, uh, um, and the
0: exercise you're doing is is crucial as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah I, yeah. I I do today. I'm having a rest day because I think I put my heart through quite a lot of stress yesterday. That I
0: yeah.
1: I just want to have a rest. I'm going to watch t- trashy TV later. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what are you going to watch? Anything Ed- in mind, Zena?
1: Oh, uh, things like. Body of Proof and NCIS and it's all sort of crime stuff.
0: All right, all right. Good to hear. You mentioned a little earlier uh, your will and um, you've uh, told me in the past you've um, kindly left a gift in your will to the BHF. Can you um, tell me about um, your motivation for doing this?
1: The research that is being done by the British Heart Foundation helps so many people. I don't think individuals understand how much what they take today has depended on funding previously. And for me, the fact that this could be a legacy that helps other people is really, really important. The fact that somebody might benefit but not only the legacy of the money, but the legacy of people participating in research. My mum actually was, she chose to participate in the Captopril trial, which is the first trial of, one of the first trials of ACE inhibitors. So her legacy is she contributed to the drugs that I'm taking today. And that kind of research has been funded by the British Heart Foundation So if we don't leave money or we don't donate or we don't raise funds, then people aren't going to benefit as I have benefited. And I just Mm. want to make sure that the legacy of the British Heart Foundation and its research lives on in others. Mm.
0: And... Zena, you married your dear partner Ray in August 2020. Yes. Tell me about tell me about the big day.
1: Oh, so th- this is linked to death and dying as well. I actually, I know, <laughs> Back I know. to the big topic.
0: <laughs> actually, before we before we jump onto the big day, there was something I wanted to ask you. Um, you mentioned you, you. This is your second time on the Ticket Tapes podcast. You were part of the, our first series on, on yeah. women and heart disease when you spoke with the lovely um, Carol Nesta. And you mentioned that when you're away, sleeping in hotels or, or away from home, you keep the light on. Yeah. Can you can you tell me about that again?
1: <laughs> you're gonna lock me up. Actually, Ray says that to me too all the time. He says, especially when I'm dancing, that you need to be locked up. Um, <laughs> here, I, if I'm going to die on my own in the middle of the night, I feel as I want the light on to know where I'm going. <laughs> and when I say Makes it out loud, out loud, it's just like, how old are you, Zina? <laughs> It makes, pathetic, it makes perfect.
0: You? It makes perfect sense, Zena.
1: <laughs> so, and and it's with Ray, Ray has actually gone away for the weekend with the lads. Uh, mm. You know these fifty to seventy year olds. I hasten to add when I say lads, mm. but that's a Geordie word. Um, mm. So I'll be leaving the light on tonight as well, mm-hmm. or the whole weekend until he gets back. Yeah, yeah. When I say oh. it out loud. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I, I think it's a perfectly rational thing to do uh, if your, you know, soul needs some guidance. Touch wood. But um, I think people all ha- have these thoughts, and, and I don't think it's uh, odd at all um, for what it's worth. <laughs> I, uh, Did it, I say that convincingly?
1: <laughs> it's a good job i can't see your face because i think there'd be a bloody smile on your face <laughs> no,
0: no, i think it's wonderful um but back to your big day um when you were uh, wedded your beloved ray uh, talk yeah. us through the day
1: uh so as i said this connects to death and dying i really felt very very strongly that before i died i wanted to be anchored in this world <laughs> I mean mm. we've talked about death but it's a big part of my life. Uh not that I think about it every day but it is it is a part of my life now and uh that I do think about often and so for me being anchored in this world before I move on to the next world was really important and that anchor was was going to be Ray. Mm. And so he asked me in the February of that year that um would i marry him and because we were just sorting out our wills and uh i said yes i said i'll get it sorted (laughs) so got it sorted for april Mm -hmm. and of course we went into lockdown on the march and so and hadn't even been able to go and sort out the paperwork because the day we were going to sort the paperwork out he would put us into lockdown the night before
0: so mm-hmm.
1: so the minute the minute we came out here he you mean
0: boris boris johnson but, not oh, ray put you into lockdown
1: oh yeah sorry when he yeah <laughs> boris boris johnson yeah mm-hmm. so the minute the minute we came out of lockdown um, we went and sorted the paperwork out and then three weeks to that and one day later, we went to Durham uh, Registry Office mm. and had two witnesses. Ray had never met them, so almost they were random strangers. Both had heart mm. disease, both had met on Health Unlocked and mm. um, were That's a, br- a British Heart
0: Foundation initiative, Health Unlocked.
1: It's a, an online forum for people to share stories and ask for, um, you know, for help and support. And uh, again, that's mm. been something else that's been invaluable to me. And mm. so they we told nobody because for us it was about the ceremony, not the, you know, you get these weddings where people say things like, oh, well, we can't put Uncle Fred and Auntie Mabel together because they don't get on well. And oh, I suppose mm. we'd better... Uh, invite Cousin John because, you know, the last time we saw him was at Auntie Ethel's funeral and we haven't seen him since that's not
0: what <laughs> poor, old, poor old Cousin John Poor old Cousin <laughs> John they didn't invite to
1: visit. So uh, So for us it was about me and Ray, it was not about mm. anybody else, so we didn't tell friends or family, absolutely nobody mm. We could only have six people there Who the hell do you invite mm. that's only six of you? Yeah and um i mean ray's family and friends all live in the village so you know we're talking at least 40 or 50 people to begin with so we decided on nobody and just the two of us and two witnesses oh and that went down like a load of lead balloons at the end but who cares (laughs) as i keep saying do what's right for you and this Mm. was absolutely right for both of us
0: and i believe you've got a poem there that you wrote and then read to Ray on your wedding day, which um, which I guess tells of your love and care for him. Do you mind reading this out for us here?
1: No, I. It, it is for Ray because he has been here. Overnight, he went from my lover to my carer. And for all carers out there, you do an amazing job and I cannot emphasise how important it is for people with heart disease and long-term conditions like myself. Have that support and that we gather strength from you. But, you know, sometimes carers are the forgotten group of people who are absolutely invaluable and amazing people. Mm. So this is the poem that I wrote and I've called it A kiss for the soul Ray's poem you were there for me when i nearly died you held me close as i cried and cried you were there for me when i needed a hug you gave me your unconditional love you were there for me when i stumbled and fell you held my hand and helped me get well you were there for me when i faced that dark abyss you held me tight and gave my soul a kiss. I will be there for you to hold you tight. I hope you know that I will make sure everything will be all right. I will be there for you to protect and care for you. I hope you know that I will be loyal through and through. I will be there for you when you laugh or cry. I hope you know that I will always support you and not ask why. I will be there for you when you need a friend. I hope you know that on me you can depend. My love for you is a thousand stars wide. I'm so pleased and proud to have you by my side. My soul is singing out loud today. So thank you for being my anchor, my dearest, darling Ray.
0: What a lovely tribute for your Ray. It's a mod of my eyes a bit watery here on a early Friday afternoon, Zena.
1: He is a lovely, gentle man.
0: <laughs> and is there any final words um, on anything we've discussed or otherwise that uh, you'd like to leave us with as we bring this podcast to an end?
1: Uh, thank you for inviting me to speak. Thank you to the BHF for being a brilliant charity who's got so many research projects going on that helps people. But to the support helpline, to the Health Unlocked, to the all of the teams that work behind the scenes, to the volunteers, especially the volunteers nationwide who help in the regions so no just thank you to everybody and to all those people who've supported me the, the healthcare professionals and um, my friends and family who've have been there for me I thank you
0: well thank you Zena um, for all you do for the British Heart Foundation rarely a week goes by that you're not lending your support voice in in, in some way to a various projects, um, you you were the face of, of the Christmas appeal a few years ago. You give talks to staff. You help us when we have uh, requests from journalists, and, and you're giving your voice and story. And your photo is is, is plastered all over newspapers um, on a regular basis. And and um, your your gift in the will, your your work with patient panels and, and, and drug research trials. Um, you're uh, a living legacy to the the ongoing work of the British Art Foundation and uh, a well-deserved award went your way um last year uh, the, the the charity champion was it the champion of the year award yeah I was um, gobsmacked
1: at that gosh
0: no no a well well deserved and couldn't have gone to a better person um so on that um on that note Zena, uh, thank you for your time we've um gone a little bit over 30 minutes um apologies to the uh oh. the producers and editors um but but i don't know um what what we cut zina i i oh. think we leave it all in um uh, between you and me i i think uh, <laughs> we've had a good chat and i appreciate your time um we 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 all do at the British heart foundation uh for your uh, courage and strength and and um ability to tell your story with uh, with such verve and candor
1: oh yes i'm not backwards in coming forwards <laughs> as my aunt would say
0: <laughs> on that Zine, i hope you have a lovely friday afternoon and, and a pleasant and restful weekend and um we'll talk to you soon no doubt
1: yes you too thanks very much indeed bill you take care
0: Heart attack symptoms can vary from person to person, but the most common signs of a heart attack are chest pain or discomfort in your chest that suddenly occurs and doesn't go away. It may feel like pressure, tightness or squeezing. The pain may spread to your left or right arm or may spread to your neck, jaw, back or stomach. You may also feel sick, sweaty, lightheaded or short of breath. If you experience any of these symptoms, you or someone nearby should call 999. Coronary heart disease kills twice as many women as breast cancer in the UK every year and it's the single biggest killer of women worldwide. Despite this, it's often considered a man's disease. 800,000 women in the UK are living with heart disease, which is the main cause of heart attacks. 35,000 women every year in the UK are admitted to hospital following a heart attack. That's an average of 98 women a day or four per hour. If you've got any questions or concerns about your heart or circulatory health and would find it helpful to speak with a cardiac nurse on the BHF's Heart Helpline, go to our website at bhf.org.uk slash hearthelpline and you'll find all the contact options there. You'll also find useful information on our research in the episode notes and on our website at bhf.org.uk. And if you've got your own heart story or have any thoughts on this episode, do get in touch with us by email at thetickertapes at bhf.org.uk. See you next time on The Ticker Tapes.